1: Lock Talk Radio.
2: Welcome to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, the most listened to radio show in the nonprofit sector, dedicated to helping your charity succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to fundraising success, and practical nonprofit management advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect landing point to learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also, a successful author, his books range from successful online fundraising to expert nonprofit management. Guests on The Nonprofit Coach are leaders in their field who share their insider tips and trade secrets in a conversational style both the experienced and novice will benefit from. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you and your organization move to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. This is a live call-in show. Add your voice by calling 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Click on radio. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart.
3: And welcome here to our latest edition of The Nonprofit Coach. Appreciate you joining us here today. Uh, As the announcer mentioned, you can call in and ask questions at 347-324-3080 when we get to our page two expert today. We're also live over on Facebook. You can find us at facebook.com forward slash Ted Hart. Or if you're super shy, you can uh, also email us your questions at tedhart at tedhart.com. As always here on the Nonprofit Coach, we start with page one news. And here on page one news, we have the CFRE Minute. George Hamilton is joining us from CFRE. George, bring us up to date on what's happening with Certified Fundraising Executives International.
4: Thanks. Very happy to do that, Ted, and and thanks for having us back here again in 2017. Um, Well, the first thing I wanted to share is just some more exciting news about the overall growth of the credential um, worldwide. More and more fundraising professionals are really realizing the value both to themselves and to the profession of demonstrating their competence, their professional ethics, and their commitment to the profession through voluntary CFRE certification. Uh, To that end, as of the year-end 2016, there were actually 6,073 CFRE certified fundraising professionals worldwide. That's an all-time high for the credential and an increase of almost 7% over the 2015 year-end number. And in addition to that increase, if you look back three years, it's a 15% increase or growth in the credential in the past three years. Well, congratulations.
3: Uh, That's terrific. What do you attribute to such a, a, a solid rate of growth?
4: Um, I, I think it's, it's credentialing in general um, is being brought to the forefront um, by different issues that are being picked up in the media surrounding trust and accountability, um, across many professions. And so I think, uh, I think fundraisers are realizing that as well as members of other professions, um, that they, there really is a way that they can demonstrate that they are knowledgeable, um, credible, and ethically committed to their profession, um, through a voluntary professional certification. Interestingly enough, we also had uh, really strong growth in initial certification applications. Um, This past year there were 805 professionals who applied for initial certification as a CFRE. Um, That, again, is an all-time high, first time we've ever been over 800. And the increase over the past three years um, for that is nearly 23%. So if you look back just three years ago, um, there were far fewer people applying for initial certification than we have now.
3: Well, so that that, uh, bodes well for the future growth as well.
4: Uh, It it does because – our retention figures for the third year in a row have eclipsed 80%, um, which, you know, as you know, the CFRE is a three-year um, cycle in terms of certification. You recertify every three years. So we've gone through a, a full cycle now um, and have achieved 80% or better recertification from existing CFRE-certified fundraisers over that three-year period.
3: That's terrific. So what else is new? How, how uh,
4: can uh, our listeners – um, stay on top of what's going on over at CFRE? Well, the, the things that are new may, mainly revolve around our moving forward on aspects of our strategic plan through 2019. Um, a few things that, that you know, forwardly affect the credential is, of course, we've been per- pursuing um, accreditation for the CFRE credential under ISO 17024 accreditation, which is for personnel certifications. Um, We've moved into Uh the final phase of that, and we'll be having our our on-site visit from the accrediting body um, coming up next month, and we look forward to achieving that accreditation uh, by the end of Q1. Um, We're also moving forward on being able to offer more robust um, resources in terms of candidate preparation. Um, and we expect that there will be uh, we will be launching the ability for uh, CFRE candidates to actually take a practice exam online later this year. Okay.
3: Well, that yeah. will certainly help so
4: those, folks get more prepared for the exam. Yeah. And we will of course also be out and about um, at lots of uh, different fundraising conferences throughout the year. In fact, coming up. Uh, Coming up next month, we'll be at the ALDI Conference, which is the Association of Lutheran, Lutheran Development Executives, and also at Fundraising Australia, with, uh, with the AFP Conference, of course, um, being a big, major highlight coming up this spring in San Francisco.
3: Okay. I wanted to, to ask you about the um, – over on your LinkedIn uh, blog for CFRE International, um, I noticed that there was an NRC winter survey – um, I was wondering um, what, what that partnership with the Nonprofit Research Collaborative um, is, is seeking to, uh, to accomplish.
4: Well, what they're studying is really fundraising methodologies and whether those methodologies are, are helping um, fund, uh, fundraising organizations or charities reach their fundraising goals. Um, okay. What's interesting about the survey this year is that there's um, – there's some, been some questions added related to professional certification um, to help measure the impact of professional certification against um, whether or not organizations are achieving goals. Um, we're part of, a, part of a consortium of organizations that make up the Nonprofit Research Collaborative, um, so I'm glad you mentioned that because I did want to highlight that and, and ask that any, any CFRE-certified fundraising um, executives um, in either U.S. or Canadian charities – take a moment to, to complete that survey um, with their organizational information for 2016. They can, you can find Perfect. a website and, to and that we just just posted, un- on our website.
3: Yeah. And we just no, posted, posted a link well? to that survey over on Facebook for you. So uh, anyone uh, who would like that link directly to the survey um, can find that at facebook.com forward slash Ted Hart. Um, and what caught my eye was the collaborative that you're part of, um, includes a number of our very good friends here on the Nonprofit Coach, the Association of Fundraising Professionals, Association of Philanthropic Council, uh, CFRE, of course, your, your group, and uh, Giving USA are all uh, very, uh, very close friends here on the Nonprofit Coach. So we wanted to draw attention to your research.
4: Very much appreciated. Thank you, Ted.
3: Terrific. Anything else for the CFRE
4: Minute? Um, I think that covers it for today. I, I appreciate you taking the time and, and, uh, and chatting with me. And, um, of course, anybody who's interested in learning more about becoming CFRE certified is, is welcome to uh, visit our website at www.cfre.org. Or, or, of course, we'd be happy to take your call here at the office as well.
3: Terrific. And we just posted that link uh, on our Facebook page as well. So anyone who uh, is interested uh, can find that CFRE.org Over at facebook.com forward slash uh, Ted Hart. So, uh, again, thank you, George Hamilton, and we will catch you next month on the CFRE Minute. Uh, Next up here on uh, the Nonprofit Coach, uh, we head on over to uh, page two, and we have a special introduction of our page two expert today. Over here on page two, uh, we welcome Linda Lysakowski, who is with Charity Channel Press and uh, uh, has uh, graciously agreed to uh, give a a warm introduction to our page two expert today here on The Nonprofit Coach. Welcome back, Linda Lysakowski.
1: Hi, Ted. It seems like it's been forever. Well, it's been at least a year ago, right? A calendar year, anyway.
3: (laughs) I know the schedule is tight, but we try to get you on as often as we can, but you've got a special guest for us today. Um, Please uh, let us know who that's going to be.
1: Okay, and I'm really excited about introducing AJ because um, although she and I haven't met in person yet, um, I've had many conversations. conversations with her and she's one of the newest authors in the charity channel group um her series of books which i'm sure she'll be telling you more about are going to be coming out this spring and i I think the reason i'm excited about aj and i love talking with her and reading everything she does i just posted one of her blogs is because she does a task that so many fundraisers just kind of groan and moan when they even think about running special events i know as a As a staff person, when I had to run a special event, it was like, oh, please save me from this. I really don't want to do special events because they just are so labor-intensive. But A.J. makes it so easy and so um, interesting to run a special event in your nonprofit. And I don't think I know of a single nonprofit that doesn't run a special event, so I think everybody's going to be excited about hearing her. But let me tell you a little bit of her formal background. A.J. is the founder of Queen Bee Fundraising, um, and she's been creating outstanding special events since 1999, which seems like forever ago. She's based in Los Angeles, and her event planning company that she started with was Masquerade Events and she's been producing fundraisers It really gained her the reputation that when someone was looking for help with a special event, A.J. became known as the go-to gal to do this. Um, so people have mm. tra- been trying to to look at special events in a new way. So I think it's natural for her. She comes from a marketing and fundraising background. She's worked with organizations, which I'm really impressed with, the Jane Goodall Institute um, Cystic Fibrosis, Breathe LA, and the Union Rescue Mission. Um, so she's been involved with a lot of different organizations like that. And in 2015, she created Queen Bee Fundraising, which specializes in the art of nonprofit special event management. Um, in addition to the books that she has coming out, she does a lot of training programs and webinars, and we're really excited here at Charity Channel Press because we haven't officially launched this yet, but we're going to be coming up with a series of courses that people can take to supplement what they read in the books. And so A.J. is working on one of these courses. So I'm excited to hear what she has to say today and and have read a little bit of the beginnings of her books, and I'm really pleased to introduce her. So, Ted, if you don't have any other questions, we can turn it over to A.J.
3: Well, it's a pleasure to have A.J. uh, join us today. And, Linda, thank you so much for bringing A.J. on the show as part of the Charity Channel Press series here on the Nonprofit Coach uh, for this sneak peek. So, A.J., welcome here to the Nonprofit Coach.
0: Thank you so much, Ted. I'm really happy to be here and with your listeners.
3: Well, we have so much to talk about today, and as uh, Linda Lysakowski just uh, uh, just shared, you know, it it doesn't go without uh, notice uh, that the topic that uh, you've chosen uh, today and the topic of your new book, Smart Events, um, and you're going to help us learn how to sell more tickets, make more money, and be more successful uh, and efficient in special events, is that this is this is one area of fundraising that, as Linda mentioned, almost every Nonprofit organization gets involved in special events of one sort or another. Um, so I think that this has uh, a lot of applicability to our listeners today, uh, particularly smaller nonprofits that oftentimes um, uh, take a look at uh, fundraising events as um, as sort of a go-to resource for money. So let's. I, I know that we've got a lot of questions to cover today, but it, it, let's go back to the roots. Of, of fundraising itself, and where do you believe special events fundraising fits within a fundraising plan?
0: That's a great question, Ted. And the answer for me is it's one piece of a puzzle because you're right, there's a lot of small, even mid sized nonprofits that may rely a little bit too much on special events for a huge chunk of their annual revenue. And as you know and all your experts know who come on here, a well-rounded uh, revenue stream is important. And I think people feel so much pressure on these fundraising events because sometimes they really have to rely on that for almost all of their income. And, and sure, your your listeners are all smart because they're listening to this and they're not doing that. But it, I think that special events there's five goals for special events and only one of the goals okay. is fundraising so the the, the goal well, let's, let's go through
3: that because because aj that's always been my my position is that that uh, nonprofit fundraising events have lots of goals and i want to go through all five of your of your goals so and ask mm-hmm. my listeners to get out a piece of paper and a pen and write these down because my, my uh, uh, position here on this show for many years has been if you are approaching fundraising events solely as a source of income and that is the, the only goal that you have, you're making a bad decision. But if it's well-rounded and you're approaching it from uh, multiple uh, viewpoints, um, and have multiple goals, you may be on the right path. so so let's go through your five your your five reasons um, so that uh, our listeners really can uh, uh, can understand where this should fit and how they make these decisions in a smart way.
0: Very good, and I'm glad you said that because we're very like minded you and me on this one. So the five goals that I have are the first one, of course, is fundraising. We should never miss an opportunity to consider this as a revenue stream and we should maximize the revenue stream. You shouldn't just say we're selling tickets and oh, here's a silent auction. I always encourage an appeal or a fund a need in whatever you're doing. That's a special event because let's face it, you've got people staring at you. You've got eyes and ears looking at you. Use that as an opportunity to engage them and to raise some funds. The second one is to expand your outreach and re- expand the visibility of your organization. An, an event because you're marketing it. If you're doing it right, you're marketing it and you have new people at the event who were not previously your supporters. It's a great way to expand your outreach and mission and get people to know what you're doing. Get people to know you even exist. The next one is, do you have a program that's new? So when I say a program, have you just launched a new uh, research foundation? Have you just added a new arm to your to your uh, to your rehab program is there some program that you really want people to know about that they don't know about it the fourth one is a call to action when you have people they're paying attention to your every word do you want them to volunteer do you want them to contact their representatives in Congress? Do you want them to send more money or become engaged in one of your programs? There should be a call to action to the people there. Don't just leave them there and let them guess what they're going to do with all the information you gave them.
3: And, let and A.J., them let, me, let me just jump in here. If I, I wanted, we, we want to get to number four and number five, but I, I just wanted to sort of accentuate um, – one of the reasons I think that call to action is so important and, and some of the other aspects of this as well. And that's because you. I always tell nonprofits to take a step back and think of who's actually in that audience. Because in many cases, for many nonprofit events, you're talking about selling tables for something uh, or selling tickets. And the way that you do that to be successful is not – approaching it as a one-off, one ticket at a time, because that's exhausting and takes too much <laughs> volunteer and staff time. Yes. But you're, you're trying to sell tables of eight. You're trying to sell tables of 10. So you're you're selling tickets essentially in bulk. So mm-hmm. who's filling that table? Who's sitting at that table? Many, many times, it's going to be people who have not already spent money um, and, and or don't know much about you. So you have a captive audience of people who may still have money in their pocket because they didn't buy that ticket and they didn't uh, spend a lot to be there. Um, And second of all, an opportunity to inspire potentially new people on a cause that they might not know an awful lot about. So all of those things coming together kind of bring us up to number three. So let's go to four and five.
0: Okay. So the four I st- I first was fundraising. The second was to expand your mission, which is what you were just saying. Is like those, those people in those seats, Ted, you're so right. Those people are, I would say at least 50%, aren't your already loyal supporters. These are new people. This is a new chance. And can I just touch on that for one more moment about selling those tables? This is a rookie mistake a lot of organizations make, is they will sell a table, and then when the RSVP comes in for that table, they'll say, okay, that's a table of ten for Jim Jones, and that's how it goes right. down right. on the registration. Folks right. get every name of the guests okay. that are coming to sit at Jim Jones' table and their okay. contact Because otherwise, those extra nine people who are sitting side by side with Jim Jones, knowing that their friend Jim is somebody who's really engaged and feels strongly, and they're feeling this amazing stage program you've put together, you're going to lose those nine people if you don't have their names written down. And then in a more Exactly. What I
3: tell people, A.J., Uh, is that um, one of the ways to to sort of elegantly get to that level of information is to say, oh, we don't have tickets to the event. It's registration at the front door. So we want to make sure we have all of your guests' um, uh, information and and contact information so that if they don't arrive with you, they can still get to your table.
0: Absolutely. That's exactly right. And you can also add a little uh, extra, say, we like to greet each guest by name. That's just your host, you know, yep. your registration exactly. table. It's just right. that extra, and it it goes far. So the last of the five goals, just because there's so much to talk about, is appreciation. Appreciation is not just for sending out thank you letters to donors. You should appreciate your guests three times. You should appreciate them when they purchase the ticket by an, an acknowledgement, an email that says thank you. We're so appreciative. You should thank them from the stage, let them know this is they're, they're the heroes of this story. They're the supporters and the donor that make your work possible. Don't get up and say, "Look what great work we're doing." you're getting up and saying, "Look how amazing the work is that you all sitting in the audience are doing, just like with your That's appeals. Right. And the last time you thank them, and this should be more than one thank you, is afterwards with the follow up email or a letter if if you have their address is a letter, but at least an email and for those who make big donations, a phone call, but you say, Hey, it's amazing what was done that you know, at our event. Thank you so much and then you were going to follow up by saying maybe a couple weeks later with another letter or email that's saying, We just have to let you know that a hundred thousand dollars we raised has now added an extra school in Guatemala. Whatever your it mission is, give them a concrete thing that their money has done from that event, and then later on one more touch that just says, you know, the good, good, the good feelings to keep on going. So I hope that answers the questions about, when else do you have hundreds of pairs of eyes and ears focused on you, all wanting to hear about your mission and all wanting to support you in some manner? This is a, an unusual exactly. opportunity.
3: Now we're talking, of course, a, about you know some sort of a, you know attending kind of event, and I think you know those are often some of the most difficult for people to pull together and to be successful because again, it, your estimate is 50% of your audience are are new or not necessarily core donors uh, to your event, so they're coming with the thought of having fun. So mm-hmm. how do you make sure that you are uh, selling the mission, sharing the mission, but also making sure that people have so much fun that they want to come back?
0: Right, That's a great question because a lot of times people just replicate what I like to call the rubber chicken dinner, and then yeah. people are – not even looking forward to coming. They get the invitation. The invitation looks like last year's invitation. It's at the same place they went to last year. They know that it'll be the same auction items and the same type of speakers and then they'll have the same ask and then everybody goes home. So I always say because my background originally though I've been doing nonprofit work since I was in college, I had an ev- I still have it. I have an event company in based in malibu california i do very high-end events and i know what excites people about coming to any event so why should a non-profit event be built from the ground up any differently than a social event well of course there's other elements but you want to first of all engage them with an event that suits your target demographic if you are a, a a ecological environmental nonprofit and your people don't like to get dressed up and they don't have really deep pockets don't do a black tie gala that I've had mm. clients do that and it's a disaster trying to sell tickets to it if you have people who like to be outside and wear flip-flops for goodness sakes have a park get a band get food trucks and you'll raise more money than you will charging $300 a head at the Four Seasons Hotel that's right So choose yeah, right. let's
3: talk a little bit about that because oftentimes um, these these events come together because you have a board of directors um, who are sort of pushing the idea of having a party and they maybe read something in the paper or they were they went to another event and then so suddenly their thought is a successful event has to copy another successful event but right. your stock and trade has always been to create that somewhat unique experience.
0: Exactly. Oh, the, the board of director pressure is insane because that may be the stratosphere they're running in, but that's not your target demographic. So if, if I may give you one quick example of, of a quick fix that we did, one was a board of director and it was a, a pet rescue for dogs who had this great facility with all these dog kennels and a big play area and everything, they wanted to do a gala, and they called me in, and I just said, I can't do this for you because your people don't want to come to a black-tie $300-person gala. So what we did was we rented out the Bark Park, which is a place you take your dogs for walking and playing, and we got a band, and we had Bark in the Park, And it was a huge success. Everybody got to bring their dogs. Everybody got to meet the Mm -hmm. other people who were bringing their dogs. And we had music and we had food trucks. So much less, first of all, it's less capital outlay. A lot of you have to realize when you want to do that black tie gala, you have to pay the deposits on the caterers, the rentals, the space, the AV. Think about your Mm -hmm. cash flow, too. There's a lot more than just getting the money. You have to first expend the money and I like to keep everybody in a really decent budget so that nobody's stressed out about that.
3: Well, I, and I think that it's the the tying it to the mission which oftentimes is is missed because it 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 feels like for a lot of nonprofit organizations that I've worked with that a special event is a special event is a special event, and it doesn't really matter. But what you're saying is is it does matter.
2: Why
0: does it matter? Well, because the people who will be coming to your event, you can pretty much pinpoint who the target guest demographic is. To have an event that's engaging, you have to create an event that appeals to that demographic. So Here's another example. There are a lot of very appropriate black tie galas. I do them day in and day out. And they don't have to be black tie. A theme is so easy to tie in to it. Now, one example was a jazz foundation had a yearly annual concert, and it was really hard to sell tickets. Very great concerts, but people were just tired because the speeches went on. It was always the same. So we gave the concert a tagline that they use now every year, which is let's give the band a hand, because that's what they do. They give support to needy musicians. Then, because we had Arturo Sandoval, who had just won a Grammy and he's a Cuban musician, salsa musician, we gave it a Cuban theme. And then we gave all this great, we used adjectives and adverbs to sell it. So instead of saying, come to our annual concert gala, featuring Arturo Sandoval, we said, join us for, you know, a, a Cuban nights, you know, a Havana nights with hot jazz and cool music, and, you know, we had yeah. artisan rum tastings, which were donated by the rum, and then we had cigar rollers who were from Cuba, and, of course, they were do- uh, sponsors paid for that, and then we had salsa dance lessons. So we took a theme, which didn't detract at all From In fact, it enhanced the whole jazz feeling of it, that we had Cuban salsa jazz. So we just kind of packed it with thematic things that enhanced the experience. It didn't cost the client one cent extra because, first of all, creativity costs nothing. Creativity goes so far to selling tickets at the end. If you build a great event, you'll sell tickets much easier. But it also... You know, just creativity, and we built it so that it was so appealing. Sponsors wanted to donate the rum. They wanted to bring their salsa team in to do dance lessons. They wanted to sponsor that cigar bar. So if you really do a compelling, fun, engaging theme.
3: Let's talk talk about that. I want to to break this down a little bit because I I, I think you're so good at what you do. uh, Breaking it down to its component parts is – is something that you don't have to do but other people do um, who don't naturally have that creativity. Where does that start, and how do you start doing that analysis? Is it recruiting the right volunteers? Is it having board members involved? Does it just require you to be a creative person yourself, and if you're not, you can't really do special events? Where, 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 how, help my listeners understand where this comes from and the process they should use.
0: All right, well, it does take a village, as they say, and I always suggest using event committees. Now, there's a reason for that. Uh, First of all, a committee of 10 gives you 10 different brains to help you to troubleshoot and to just brainstorm. I have had some of my greatest... But also 10
3: different bosses, right? 10 different bosses different experts.
0: That's right, which is why I teach it. <laughs> That's why I do training on event committee management. I like to say they're your biggest headache and your biggest asset. And also think about this. You have 10 people who are not trained in event planning, nor are they trained fundraisers. They're sort of just nothing. But what they are are their assets. I look at every single person who sits on a committee as an asset because of skills they bring. So you may not be a creative thinker, but one of your committee members should be. And you may not have a connection with Amgen International, but someone on your committee does. Event committees help you brainstorm. They help you bring in sponsorships. They help you get donations, and they help you sell tickets. And they also become much stronger supporters of your cause. But in terms of creativity, not everybody is creative, but when you get people brainstorming, the ideas flow, 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 and you will going to find something pretty amazing. And with the Internet, you can Google and see what other people are doing. But it just takes a little time and brainstorming to really come up with those creative ideas that are the difference between a ho-hum, not-again type of an event and they, gee, this is going to be awesome. Or as we well, like what to do say... you start
3: you, with? You know, how, how, how do you know where to start? Because ten, 10 people on a committee, 10 different ideas, of course, they all think their, their idea is the best idea. Right. And, and, you're, and, and all of them can't be right. So how, right. how do you harness that energy? As you're saying, you're better off with them, even though you have to go into understanding it is hard work to manage that. Right. But how do you get to the concept, and then start working with the committee to put it together.
0: All right. Now we're going to switch over to committee management now. There's two things you need to learn. First of all, it's like parenting children. It's like having ten children. You never take your kids and stand there and say, okay, where do you want to eat dinner or what do you want for dinner when you're standing in the grocery store? Because if you have ten kids, everybody wants something else, and they're not all good ideas, Mm -hmm. and then they start fighting with each other. You have to have pretty much an idea of who's the mommy or daddy in that situation, which is you, the nonprofit professional. You don't make the decision well, while let me, right, let, when let, you're, let me stop you right. there.
3: What 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 if you've come into an event that you know used to have its heyday,
0: mm-hmm. um,
3: has has seen better days, but you have a committee who has always done that event.
0: Right. All right. So. That's a very difficult thing, and you need to – I have to think on my toes when I'm saying this because it's a very complicated question. Two things. It, there's always a decision maker at the top who is not in the committee meeting. I call that mm. – when somebody comes up with a bad idea, You have everybody get your pens ready and write this down. This is – my committee management secret is when people come up with bad ideas, <laughs> you're like, I know what you're saying, we've always done this or whatever. There's three things I do. First, I praise. So say somebody says, well, we want to have a pajama party for our black tie gala. we use the praise, delay, distract. So write that down, praise, delay, distract. So you praise them and you say, that's an interesting idea. Why do we praise them? Because people speak and they want to be acknowledged. People get their feelings hurt when you just go, that's stupid, or you just don't even acknowledge it. By acknowledging it and praising them, you assuage their egos because there's a lot of ego. So praise, hey, Susie, that's an interesting idea. Then you delay. You say, I have to bring that to the board, so let me take this idea to the board or the ED and let's see what they say about this and if this fits within our bylaws and best practices. That's delay. And then you distract. You say, but you know what? We've got some other ideas. Let's kick around some other ideas. Or you say, let's move on to budget what, you know, or let's move on to marketing. Praise delay, distract. Anytime there's a bad idea, (laughs) a horrible idea, that's the tactic you use. By having somebody above you that's invisible, that is the final arbiter of what can and can't be done, that is how you avoid all of those, I don't want to do this, but somebody keeps pushing it. So an example Mm -hmm. is I'm working right now with a large group, and this very enthusiastic woman on the committee decided that she doesn't want it to be, to be a black-tie gala. She wants it to be an indoor picnic. Now, I know that's not going to fly, and she's a, her husband sits on the board, so I can't insult her. So, of course, we praised, hey, that is an amazing idea. Let me just bring it to the ED and see what he says. And then we moved on to something else. Well, I brought it to the ED knowing very well he has already signed on to the Four Seasons for a black tie $300 ahead event. So mm-hmm. I called the woman and I said, you know what, I love your idea, but so-and-so, it can't be done. It's already been approved as a black tie. We'll, we'll table that until another event because it's a great idea, which it's not. But. So do you see how <laughs> you can do that? You have to have right. the invisible mommy or daddy. Also too, I like to come in, first of all, Queen Bee Fundraising is not called Queen Bee because I'm a Queen Bee. Queen Bee is the two chairmen of any event committee the hive is your event committee because that's what makes the honey the money for you so the worker right. bees are all in the hive doing all the work because those two influencers the queen bees are at the top of that committee so whether you have you have one or two those are the queen bees are the ones you talk to first about what their vision is for the event now you of course when you're asking to get more information and you're kicking it around with the whole committee You can get their ideas, but you should always know that you don't give everybody just carte blanche for ideas. You should have an idea of the direction you want to go in at least marginally first, you know, an overarching idea. Am am I making sense? Because we're jumping around a lot. I'm trying to keep this. Absolutely. No, no. I
3: I think those are very important um, uh, tips that you're giving because I think without those tips, oftentimes uh, the professional – uh, who's in that picture working with the hive um, can feel paralyzed. Um, yeah. <laughs> whether they, they don't have an active hive, um, they're trying to build the hive, or they have an overly active uh, hive that's really not going anywhere, um, It's your, your point is it's still your job to find a way to sort of bring that home. Um, AJ, we're going to take a quick break. Um, and when we come back, I wanted to ask you if you could – talk uh, about for our listeners today this notion of a signature event versus a a fundraising event and how many events are too many events. Uh, And we'll be right back after this break.
5: Does your organization have a compelling story to tell? Do you want to connect with your supporters, volunteers, and donors, but don't have the funds to launch expensive outreach campaigns? The YouTube nonprofit program can help.
4: If I could give one piece of advice, it would
3: be sign up for the YouTube nonprofit program. If I could give another piece of advice, it would just be to capture the story of your organization and use video to tell it, because video is the most powerful
5: medium by far. The nonprofit program helps you use YouTube as a powerful fundraising tool for your organization.
0: One weekend, we managed to raise enough to feed 500,000 children at school for one day. The video also gained over half a million
5: views and had thousands of comments. And tell stories that haven't been told. Because you guys, the YouTube community, started sharing these videos, there's been housing programs started. And feeding programs started. Literally homeless people that were sleeping outside slept inside last night because of you guys. Over 10,000 nonprofits are already using YouTube's premium tools for nonprofits. Your organization can too. Learn more and apply at www.youtube.com slash nonprofits.
3: And mark your calendars for next week, February 7th, here live on The Nonprofit Coach, Our topic will be uh, learning lessons from the new Trump Cabinet, a research project put together by the Foundation Center entitled Trump's Cabinet Philanthropic Ties, detailed in a new online resource, Eye on the Trump Cabinet, and Brad Smith uh, from the Foundation Center will be with us uh, to share what can be learned and what we all should be looking at uh, in terms of the philanthropic ties that members of the Trump cabinet uh, have as they join uh, his new uh, government.
2: Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at TedHart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347 324 3080. Now, back to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart.
3: And we're live here with A.J. Steinberg, and she's sharing with us uh, her tips and secrets from many, many years of successful special event uh, fundraising. Um, But her focus today is on smart events. And before the break, I asked uh, A.J. when we come back, can you talk about signature events versus fundraising events and how many events are just too many?
0: Thanks, Ted. Yes, signature events... Let's just define those as those big events that are known. They, they define what people think about when they think about your organization and an event. An example would for that in Los Angeles would be Cystic Fibrosis does Wine Master, which has thousands of people come every year, or we have the Carousel Ball in Denver. So those are those huge events. The signature event has the same, maybe not the same theme every year, but it will have the same title and it will be identified as the yearly biggie for your organization. A regular fundraising event could be anything from an in-home fundraising type of a get-together at the Benavon model, which I don't know if you've talked about that with your, yeah, your group let's before. Let's talk a
3: little bit about that because that, that's, that's a very different model, but still
0: a special event. It is. That is so specific, and I am not trained in Benavon, but I can give you an overview. For people who don't know Benavon, it's a very uh, well-respected organization that came up with a whole system of small fundraising events. I believe they say twice a month, so you're going to have to wrap your head around two times a month getting people together and doing an ask. A Benavon event is usually a an invitation event, and you have table captains, and each table captain is in charge of bringing one table in. They sit with their table of ten, and the whole event, I believe, takes one hour in and out, and it includes a mission outreach and an ask, and that's about it. Does that sound right to you, Ted? I mean,
3: Yeah, no, it does, but I I think rather than just sort of that name brand, um, what I was getting at is uh, a different approach to fundraising events, which are much more uh, volunteer-driven, much more sort of community-driven, as opposed to necessarily the model that we started off talking about, which would be sort of the organization hosting an event with the assistance of a committee
0: right thank you that that's exactly it so you can look up Benavon, benevon b e n e v o n it 's very successful and they do training in it and that is all all volunteer and you have to have a very strong Group, uh, because every time that you hold a Benavon event, the invitations are sent from the table captains and the table captains are in charge of it. It's, it, it needs a very strong support group. So so when you ask how often you should do an event, you can do events every month. Benvon says twice a month. That makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up because I can't imagine having to do something that intense twice a month. You, for that kind of thing, you do. You know, the bigger your outreach, if you have only maybe 500 people that are in your support base, you're going to have fewer events than if you have 10,000 people or 100,000 people in your support base. You can't sustain keeping people coming to your events if you have fewer people. Uh, events can be walkathons which are community-based events where you get people to do the ra- the monetary fundraising for you that's why you do it so other people help you to raise money you can do a big concert event which means you don't have you have all the logistics to put together or you do the gala which is that very distinct signature event that we were talking about before so one signature event a year i would say every two or three months doing a smaller community event, even if it's just movie night where you, you host a movie so the families could come if you're a boys and girls club, keeping in the public eye and keeping them engaged with your mission is very important so, but you don't want to burn yourself out so does that make sense? I mean if you're a two person or, or,
3: or burn out your volunteers because you know people right. who really believe in right. you, you may have this this small core of people who volunteer all the time and that's great but then you burn them out and, in fact, you're left really organizing the entire event.
0: Right. Well, yes, that is very true. The core volunteers are always limited. I say there's always the same seven people putting on everything at every, you know, no matter what, it's the same seven people you see sitting at your table every time you have volunteers, which is why I'm such mm-hmm. a fan of outreach. I use Volunteer Match. So don't burn out your volunteers, they say 67% of people who are new volunteers to your organization who you just get randomly, 67% will become supporters on one level or another. Down the line, so that's another reason to use your funder, your volunteers to go beyond your reach to get volunteers. You have volunteer match and other community online resources to get volunteers to help you. I use colleges, uh, sororities and fraternities. I use high schools. I use for my marketing and social media. Who's better at social media than high school kids? And they actually need community service hours. So it's a win-win situation. And especially if it's a bigger event, that gets their whole family to be aware that you're having an event, and they usually jump in, too. So all of that. Yeah, you don't want to burn out your volunteers, or you don't want to burn out your staff. Vol- that is, there's no way around it. It takes work to put on special events. If you're organized... The three words I use are organization, communication, and appreciation. I have those three words posted in front of my computer. I look at them every day. If you're organized and you communicate well and you're appreciative, your events will run so much smoother and have so much more success because you're doing the right things to get them going. But you want to make sure that you're maximizing them.
3: Let me just jump in because you 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 raise the this this issue of you know how much money and 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 burning people out and that. so there is a lot of cost that goes into special events, and that one of the costs that I think are often not looked at are the opportunity costs that if those same volunteers did something else or they asked for money in a different way or you had a different kind of campaign, so why have special events at all? It seems to me that there's a a specific place in your fundraising um, plan where fundraising fits, but it, it shouldn't be cannibalizing other types of
0: fundraising. Absolutely, that's why it's important to do your events well and hit your goals, and to know your goals. And and what Ted has said is correct. It's the same thing in a when you're looking even at an event, if you're sending people out to collect items in the community for your silent auction and they're getting a $50 gift card here, a $20 donation here, those sponsors, you could that's wasted resources many times because you could use those volunteers to be getting sponsorships at a much higher level. You have to mm-hmm. really look at what you're doing with the volunteers and their times and how you're asking people to donate their resources. I... I just cringe sometimes when I see everybody focused on these silent auctions that bring in a little money, but it takes so much time and effort from the staff and from the volunteers. So uh, a nonprofit event, that's why you do the goals up front. The first thing you do is a certain what you want to achieve. Now, the beauty of an event as opposed to just a regular appeal that's mailed out Is because you are connecting one on one with people. Just like some people are auditory learners and some are visual learners, some people Hmm. become engaged because they read an appeal or a donation letter or get a one on one call from somebody. But other people are more social animals and their emotional contact will come from being in a group that has an emotional moment when they see your stage appeal or hear your mission in a group.
3: And that's why it's part of a balanced fundraising program because it it has a particular place, but so do other types of of fundraising. So back to where we started this show with, you know, your, your five strategies and understanding that it's not just about the money, um, but it's all also about engagement. It's also about message. It's, so mm-hmm. all of those things have to be thought through ahead of time if the event is going to truly be a successful event or, is, as you say, a smart
0: event. Right, exactly. It's exactly right. So you have to really build it right. So as we said, the goals get set first. Then you figure out who your target demographic is, who are those people that are going to be coming, and then choose an event that fits the appeal of those people who you know what do those people want to see at an event i have to tell you sometimes Mm -hmm. if you spend too much money or if it's too lavish and too opulent you may have a target guest demographic who gets put off by the opulence they're saying you know this is money that could be literally going to feed hungry children so you really need to to make it to think put some thought and effort into your events
3: That's right. That's right. Um, And so, and part of that thought is how to sell the tickets. Um, Mm -hmm. How do you get people motivated to sell those tickets? And what are your best uh, tips for getting people in the seats?
0: My tips, first of all, just what we talked about, building it right first. Some of you may be in the middle of events already and you say, well, AJ, we've already got this. That's fine. But if you're starting out, build the event correctly first. And then you want to make it irresistible by those adjectives and adverbs. Don't settle for one sentence. When you can create an entire visual wonderful event in somebody's head by saying, there's artisan rum tasting, then there's salsa dancing, and there's hot jazz and those cool nights. Use, Mm -hmm. Use some wordsmithing to really build a great event. Then remember to get it out there put it yet get a marketing plan. Put it out on you know in all the community calendars that are online. get it in the newspapers and your local newspapers and their calendar sections. and don't forget bloggers and meetup groups. Meetup groups have so many similar interests if you're a pet rescue, there's meetup groups that love pets so why don't you promote your event through them? Bloggers, there's something called clear.com. It's www.klear.com. Lear.com. If you want to make a relationship with the blogger, go on there and do search influencers. And when you get to the search influencers page, you can type in whatever you're, if it's pets, if it's children, if it's education, type that into the interest box, put your city, and then press go. And it will give you every social media influencer's thousands of them, and they're rated by how much impact give it, give they have. Give us that
3: website again. Give us that it's website again. It's
0: www.clear.com. That's K-L-E-A-R. And for those of you, I don't know if and, I'm a-
3: And we're posting that over at facebook.com forward slash Ted Hart uh, for right. anyone that wants to follow along with clear.com.
0: Right, and I believe that I sent you, I have an ebook called, you know, on selling tickets and filling seats, and uh-huh. I have that. And I'm also, I think I gave that to Diane, so I, anybody who wants to get a free guide on how to market and sell tickets to your event, you can go to queenbeefundraising.com. That's www.queenbeefundraising.com which is me, .com. Yeah. And, and we're also
3: posting that website over at facebook.com forward slash Ted Hart, so you can uh, awesome. go directly to the fundraising.
0: Awesome. And And once again, if anybody has questions directly, you can – Email me, which I think either Ted has it or you can get it off the website. But I answer my emails. I'm not a an automaton. I actually do answer all my email questions directly. <laughs> so if you have personal questions, I'm happy to answer those for you. And and I do also teach webinars on charityhowto.com for literally one of them is a special events, just general basics, and one of them right now is also selling tickets. So. You know, their hour and a half just deep delve into these things. But, but I mean, Ted, you're doing such great things. I mean, a lot of people are afraid to touch on the subject of special events because generally in the past, people have hated them so much that mm-hmm. it's been kind of a taboo subject. But I'm I'm glad that well, it's always can interesting look at them.
3: to me that you know pe- people say that they hate them, but there are so many of them. So so clearly yeah. people don't hate them. Uh, they're just—I yeah. think—they're one of those things that uh, it's—it's uh, popular to say that you hate.
0: Yeah, I think so. It's sort of like the colonoscopy of the nonprofit world. Is that you know it's good for you and you got to do it. But God, the prep work for it's awful, and you just hate the process. But the end result is important to do. So um, right, I guess it's right. not the most lovely visual for for event planning. But but there you go.
3: Right. Well, we've, uh, we've only got uh, uh, a few minutes left. We've got about four minutes left, so I'm going to ask you uh, to give us your very best tips, and uh, we have posted your website, but any other contact information uh, for our listeners?
0: Oh, my very best tips on just anything generally doing it. My very best tips to That's everybody right. is build it right. I, I know that it, I've said that about 100 times already in the past hour, but... Really do take some time to consider what kind of an event your guests will want to attend. Be really focused on that. Then also, too, I always say you have to be a cheerleader for your event. I have heard so many times, I've worked with development directors a lot who go, okay, they stand in front of their board and they say, all right, you know the drill, you've got to buy a table, you've got to buy tickets. <laughs> of course, not that just makes
3: everybody feel excited, right?
0: Oh, yeah. And, you know, you can just see they're sweating, too. i got to tell you, I want to go up and just kick them in the pants. I actually, believe it or not, have brought pom-poms to meetings. I bring them, and I say, I'm your cheerleader, and I'm excited about this event. Rah, rah. I shake my pom-poms. And then I say, you know what? This is awesome. Let me tell you what this event is going to have. And then you get up and use your adjectives and your adverbs to make this amazing event just come to life for your board. And then also be relentless because in marketing it takes seven touches before it really hits somebody that they need to do something. That's basic advertising. You have to realize people buy tickets either right when they get, just a few though, right when they get that invitation, and the last two weeks. So that big time frame where nobody seems to be buying tickets, don't panic. Just constantly, constantly remind people via email or tweets or however you do it that this event is happening and it's amazing, and you will sell far more tickets. We've only got two minutes
3: left, but there's a rule of thumb that that I have found to be true, but I want to just run it by you, and that is that that typically for an event, not necessarily a first-year event, but certainly past the first year, Um, 30 days out, you've got about half the tickets you're going to sell. And it just seems to always be that way, that 30 days out, so don't panic that you haven't sold all your tickets 30 days out, but take that as an indication of where your end game is likely to be, if you've done all the right things and you've done marketing and and you've got an audience. So that's just a a quick rule of thumb. We've only got a minute left. Any other contact information you can share with uh, our audience today? Uh, we have already posted your website at facebook.com forward slash Ted Hart.
0: That's pretty much it. If you want to get a hold of me directly, I answer emails at aj at queenbeefundraising.com. That's aj at QueenBeeFundraising.com. And don't be afraid of these events. They really have such an impact on engagement. You just can't get by those letters and year-end appeals. And people appreciate it when you appreciate them, so don't forget that element in your, in your events to just kind of slather on that appreciation.
3: There you go. Well, this has been a great show, bringing forward great tips on how to make great events and smart events Uh, A topic that, as AJ even admitted herself, is not necessarily the sexiest topic, but one that almost every organization needs to hear. Thank you for being our guest, and don't forget our show next week, 12 noon Eastern, right here on The Nonprofit
2: Coach. You've been listening to The Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad friendly podcast at tedheart.com. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Coach.